0: Good afternoon. Ready Row USA is live on the air now, and we're here with our special guest, Carol Schoenaker. Hi, Carol.
1: Hello. Thanks for having we'll me. We'll
0: introduce her in a second, but I wanted to uh, let people know who uh, some uh, exciting developments here, one of which is uh, at Ready Row USA. I'm Charlotte Pierce, the producer, and these, we have a new uh, sponsor. We're very grateful for Sykes making this uh, podcast possible this episode, and they are the Australian-based producer of Racing Shells. I actually just bought one, and I'm thrilled with it. It got got some free speed out of it, I think. Uh, they will be at the Head of the Charles near the finish line, so if you're going up there uh, next week, please check in with Fabio Selvig, and uh, he, will, uh, he just loves talking about rowing, first of all, but Um, He will uh, show you the boats and they're really trying to break into the U.S. market, I think, uh, with very promising success. And they are also, he also represents Resolute. So there's a couple of options for you. Thank you, Sykes. And we are, I'm going to introduce now uh, Carol Schoenaker. She's the head rowing coach at Robert Robert Morris University, not Roger. Hi, Carol, and thank you so much for being patient as we scheduled this. I really am excited about talking to you about your research and your position as one of the few head coaches in rowing, uh, collegiate rowing, but hopefully growing, <laughs> growing number of people. But you are really leading the way and uh, we really appreciate having you on.
1: How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, I'm excited to be here. I love talking yeah. about rowing too, so this is perfect.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you have, uh, how many, um, like, crews do you have under your uh, your uh,
1: in your rowing program? Robert Morris, I think we're sitting, we have close to 40 athletes right now. And then I also coach at Three Rivers Rowing. So we have about 50 Masters athletes on my team there. So lots of community in the rowing. In, and so
0: you're in Pittsburgh, Robert Morris, we should clarify that. And Three Rivers is in Pittsburgh as well. Yes. Yeah, and you're on the board of uh, Three Rivers and yes. there. Yeah, cool. Well, um, I wanted to mention that uh, just as you listen to this program, please use our hashtag, and we'll tell you that at the end. So we're just we're trying to get people to listen to the end. I think you'll be really happy that you did. Um, Carol's got a lot to say about diversity and um, representing uh, Women in rowing and all all people in rowing really, but Carol, why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, your research and you know I might ask you some questions along the way. We might get some also coming in from our listeners. So awesome. please go ahead.
1: Well, I should start by saying a little bit of my history is I graduated from Bucknell University where I rowed and began my coaching career at Duquesne University, also in Pittsburgh, with my former novice and varsity coaches from high school. So I had a Mm -hmm. lot of great mentorship there. But from Duquesne, when I got my master's, I went into education and then got a teaching position in rural Louisiana with Teach for America. So being a teacher was really what I just thought I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. My master's degree is in public policy. So educational policy was something I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. But the systemic inequity within education and especially public education, too, was a lot more stark than i expected when i got to louisiana very poor parish the smallest parish the last to desegregate legally in the united states and i had studied abroad in ghana and benin and togo so i was thought i was used to rural environments but the poverty that we see in rural america was still so much more than i thought i would see especially the third world country as developed as the u.s Mm -hmm. so leaving louisiana My first instinct is, I don't know enough about this. How am I going to learn more about how to address these issues that prevent my students, who I'm still very close to, from learning? And was going to go to Temple's PhD program in urban education, but this position opened up at Robert Morris as an assistant coach. And I'm talking with our former head coach, Nellie Stavora, who's still working at Robert Morris. The feel of the university, the demographics of the university, and the mission of the program was so aligned to what I felt like my students were missing in terms of social emotional development and having the support system and having people there who really care about you and allow you to grow and are meeting your needs, that I decided that that position was what I wanted to do. And I think coaches are educators. We are educators, so we have that responsibility too. So it kind of met the needs that I wanted in the classroom. So three and a half years ago, I started a doctoral program at Duquesne in educational leadership and decided to weed my own backyard, which is their advice, and look at how educational equity affects collegiate rowing, specifically with my athletes and my team. Uh-huh. So that, of course, is very blue collar. I think a lot of rowing programs, especially at the collegiate level, tend to be a little bit more white collar we are a little bit more of an elitist sport. So I think the demographic and the feel of the team that I was coaching was a lot more, it resonated more with me in the way that I grew up and especially resonated with Pittsburgh, which is a very blue collar, steel city, gritty kind of feel. And especially on the rivers, you can see that history and the skeletons of those steel mills all over.
0: (laughs) I know. It's an amazing city. And the transformation has been pretty interesting in the last few years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So And I think that that kind of influenced the direction that I ended up going. So I talked with some of my athletes and realized that the narrative, the stories of Black female athletes in the collegiate level are basically non-existent. There's a lot of literature on Black male athletes, especially with football and basketball. And that's a different area of research on the inequity there. But Black women are largely absent from the narrative altogether. And when you look at Title IX, which benefited me going into college as a first-generation college Mm -hmm. student, Title IX enhanced rowing, enhanced soccer, enhanced lacrosse on the women's side the most, and those are some of the most underrepresented sports in terms of racial diversity. And look at just in the NCAA database, and you can see here, we have an enormous number in our sport of you know, athletes and very little representation specifically. One hundred and sixty of seven thousand, mm-hmm. and this was twenty nineteen. So I haven't looked at the updated. Wow, this is predated. Well, like, I
0: can't. I can't imagine like someone coming from just like the 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 challenges the, the hurdles that the strength of character you'd have to have to kind of get through that and be successful as an athlete mm-hmm. and just. You know the 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 kind of will will to succeed must be tremendous.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. And then when you look at, I started asking why. Obviously, there was such low representation yeah. for a lot of different reasons. But something that I started noticing early on, given the demographics of the students that we are pulling into RMU, the eligibility center through the NCAA limits participation. Pretty starkly in our program. So early identification happens in football, in basketball, because these coaches are tracking these athletes from a very young age. Like a lot of times, it's like sixth grade, seventh grade. They're identifying these athletes, and they can track them.
0: Yeah, I was going to say high school, but that's not even that's even before oh, that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Some football players sign or commit verbally very, yeah. like as a freshman in high school. I can't even imagine. But rowers a lot of times don't start or enter the sport until much later. So if you're not on track to being eligible, then unless you have someone who I can de- identify you earlier, then you're out an opportunity to even walk to a team. I,
0: sh- I should mention that we are, we have some slides. If you're listening in audio, I'll put them on the show notes. But Carol, when should tell me if you wanted me to flip it, flip it to the next uh, next one? And um, I- yeah, go ahead and flip to the next one. Okay,
1: got it. So awesome. So this is a little yeah. bit of information on representation. But the limited access and equity and opportunity, especially coming out of high school for a lot of women of color and low income women was insane. And I was having novices who walked on with 4.0 GPAs and perfect SAT scores who weren't eligible to compete because of where they grew up and where they went to school. So that just shows how systemic this issue is. So it's much deeper rooted and like, okay, so this is a bigger problem than I even thought. So when i sat down to do my actual research i decided i asked four of my black athletes if they would be interested in Mm -hmm. a series of storytelling circles first talking about their own stories and what brought them to rowing and their why and what brought them to robert morris but then the second circle focused more on their intersecting identities what they had in common and what was different Mm -hmm. the athletes were recruited two of them were novice walk-ons I had one who was a freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior at the time. So there were different parts of their collegiate career. And then they talked about what we were going to do moving forward. And when I, the information I got from listening to their stories, because I wasn't there. Another big issue that I had was there's an obvious power discrepancy between me being their head coach and then yes. athletes. So I basically provided them lunch and snacks and then left them to their own devices. And they recorded these two hour long storytelling session. So you kind of
0: removed yourself from that. And then that, and did they? Did you get a sense that that it was really important for the four of them to have each other? Yeah. yeah.
1: And that came out right away. And I think right after the first one, I ended up having to cut them off because one of them had to go to class. <laughs> Initially, I thought it was going to be an hour long. And then it was like three hours later. And I'm like,
0: hey. <laughs> now,
1: had they known each other before they came in? Or did they kind of bring each other in? or They kind of brought each other in. I mean, they, they had been... On the team for a while, and the freshman who had come in had been recruited basically by one of the sophomore junior athletes. Because when they come for official visits, it's like this is someone I want to be a team on the team with me. So they ended up really talking about. Well, first of all, after that first session, one of one of the athletes came out. I'm going to call her Wakesho, but she said, "I gave them all pseudonyms, obviously for privacy." <laughs> she said that she felt lighter. So how important having a space that is truly safe. Wow. For them actually was, mm-hmm. And I don't, it didn't occur to me, obviously, as a white woman and their coach, like how infrequent they have those spaces in their day-to-day lives.
0: Well, interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is all. Awesome. Now, did you get a sense from them or any information from them about what might be have you know what might be helpful for people from their community to like get this idea and kind of latch on to the idea of rowing as a as a sport to pursue
1: well we talked a lot about responsibility of being more equitable in our recruiting practices Mm -hmm. so being more out in the community in pittsburgh in general like robert morris takes a lot of local students it has a large number of students from the pittsburgh area okay Mm okay there's not a lot of youth rowing for Pittsburgh public schools at the moment. Three Rivers is working on it and there's more of a push for that. Yeah. But there's nothing that says we can't go in and start recruiting walk-ons earlier or introduce this as an opportunity. And
0: yeah, I know you've probably talked to R Shea Cooper about what he does with with high schools and you know swimming lessons, um, bring the ergs you know pizza <laughs> Those are like the three yeah,
1: things it's them in the door and then uh, <laughs> their attention exactly
0: door. but yeah. it's um you're familiar with these uh, there's a couple of programs like uh well the gold cup fund and then there's uh stem to stern i think it's called. Mm-hmm. yeah it just seems like more of a systemic yeah you know because you could you could go into a high school you, you would just the context isn't there yet, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah,
1: go ahead. Yeah, I interrupted you. Well, and I think this push on community and how important it is to be in the community and mm-hmm. these stories, I think is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Their voices are important. And for a space, again, like black women are largely invisible. So to amplify their voices was an incredibly empowering experience for them. Awesome. And their leadership is huge. So they talked a lot, a lot of different things came out of this. So they talked a lot about microaggressions from across campus, from professors from uh-huh. their teammates, obviously. And what we ended up doing was we had, we had previously done a very intentional DEI programming with the team, but we pulled uh-huh. up our entire leadership model. So we have a leadership team and it's a lot more distributed because this is not my team, it's their team. My job is to support them in reaching their goals. And so
0: leadership within the rowing program? Or, yeah, okay.
1: We have six chairs, and one yeah. of my leads who's now a senior, who did this is our social justice chair. So she sat down with me this summer, and we wrote out a really in-depth cultural humility program that we require two sessions a month. So every other Thursday is a required team talk. And then the other alternating Thursdays are a challenge by choice. So if this is When child, you
0: say cultural humility, I'm sorry, uh, what do you... What do you mean by that? From the white perspective or from the?
1: Well, cultural humility, I used to dig into cultural competency, like those buzzwords a lot. But cultural competency, I think, separates the individual from the group. Mm-hmm. Well, cultural humility is a lifelong process of self-reflection. So mm-hmm. when we started viewing this, a lot of this is getting into all athletes on our team to really honor their own identities. And I think young women in particular are almost afraid of Knowing themselves, because there there's this constant like, am I good enough? You know, where yeah. are my failures? These expectations have been put on me, and so there's yeah. a few to really like stand in their own rainbow and enjoy it. You know, like who got does. it? Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't go away when you get older. I can t- tell you that. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: Programming starts with that individual identity and sure. yeah. self and then we can see how are all of our identities as a team intersect to bring this speed on the water and this magic on the water. And I'm a little more touchy feely, but I think for our sport in particular, Mm -hmm. that intersecting identity, how you move and trust and appreciate the people around you leads to speed. And Evermore isn't winning NCAAs, obviously. And I don't think that'll happen later on, but it's been interesting to see that the athletes that we've brought in on an erg and on paper are not as fast, but on the water, we've had a lot more success in the last two years than we've ever had before. So there's definitely a correlation between how they interact with each other and what they bring to the communities around them Mm -hmm. than just boat speed too. So I think that's how you try to get the buy-in of like, why should we take time with this? Why is this important?
0: Yeah, and when you were going through all this with them and and writing your dissertation and trying to implement these things, did you get what were the like main obstacles or you know, did you have setbacks? So did you have like disappointments or you know, things that didn't work? Or <laughs> I just I'm just wondering, you know, if, was it all sort of a growing and learning experience or
1: I think honestly, the the only thing that would be considered a setback wasn't really a setback. COVID uh-huh. entered in so initially the plan was to do all of these storytelling circles in person because I think that enhances the experience. So two of them they had to switch to Zoom but I don't think it interrupted anything that they were doing or the content that they were doing. And I feel like for me, I mean, this listening to them helped me get to know myself a little bit better. And my dissertation chair, who is the Dean of education at Duquesne and is one of the most amazing women I've ever met really had to sit me down and tell me that if I was expecting my athletes to be vulnerable and open and share their story, then I needed to share mine with them. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah.
0: That must've been, very uh revealing.
1: So you know, and that was, and they they brought that up. To so the athletes, brought that up. So it was like wow. halfway through the fourth. So you're, <laughs> you're not going to get out of this without telling me. I you. got a text message. They, I had, I set up Zoom in in yeah. the library, and I went up to yeah. my and just left them go, and I got a text that was like, "Come back down." And then they were, like, "We need to interview you. There are some questions." <sighs> wow. That we yeah. You know, if we're going to build this program, and you are a key part of this too, and we need, we need to know more about you know why you care so much understand yeah. so and it was interesting because i was really nervous i was really nervous being like so open and transparent with my athletes but i think like it's the trust has increased a lot i'm not nearly as afraid at saying that i screw up routinely because i do yeah. alan is a lifelong process and i mess up daily and i told them i'm like i'm inevitably going to disappoint you but being- In the
0: humility that i mean that strikes me that phrase it's just again and again i when i read it on your material i you know, just because you and I, you know, operate as white women or it, it's just it's so hard to, to kind of live someone else's experience. You know, and we just we can't help but just kind of operating in our privilege unless yeah. we unless we try and break it down and put ourselves
1: And I think it's interesting, and I'll I'll let you know how it works out. But this year, Mm -hmm. one of the things we switched is that when we start talking about the nitty gritties of like race and equity and privilege, that we're going to do affinity groups, because there are enough women of color on our team now where they can have a substantial group. So obviously, when you're starting out with these DEI initiatives, the impact of being the only woman of color on a team of white women is huge on that person. But now we're going to have critical mass do you ideas. feel like
0: you're getting you're drawing more uh, diversity
1: in the program now is that yeah, I, th- of- I mean i think inevitably when you yeah. see people who look like you representation yeah. does matter yeah so it gives you know like there is a space where i feel like i can fit in yeah you know, we have a lot of work to do and a lot right. to go obviously but we have 10 women of color on our team so that's about a quarter of the team are women of color now and awesome. so yeah, I'm really excited about the conversation that they're gonna have. I'm gonna bring in uh-huh. people from one of my best friends from my dissertation program to kind of moderate their affinity group. And then they they told me uh-huh. they were like, you know, you being a white woman talking to your our white teammates about privilege and telling uh-huh. them how privileged you are is gonna make them open up a little bit more because a lot of t- that vulnerability, that being open and being uh-huh. like, oh no, I'm going to make mistakes, and then being okay with that, I think is uh-huh. had some conversation. And so it's also that push of like, you know, doing hard things, really embracing discomfort is going to lead to growth here in this space, but also that's rowing. Yeah. <laughs> know, is the, comfortable, the, really embracing that discomfort is going to lead to yeah. growth in almost every aspect of your life. So. Do you find that the
0: rowers of color just, sometimes they just want to row and not think about all this other stuff
1: or... Yeah, some of they them just want to be rowers, <laughs> be as engaged as they want to. Some of them are yep. not. You know, mm-hmm. we we're also doing a leadership development curriculum—not curriculum, but like a course—and yep. we have disc profiled. So all the one, everyone in our leadership team did a disc profile. So we have like our leadership styles. So we've been working through like what that means in terms of how we interact with each other and also leveraging strengths and weaknesses and where we should branch out of our comfort zones. So it's been interesting to see the. Young woman who is who wrote the curriculum with me is came out as being a very dominant leadership style. So she is like, I'm at every protest. I am talking about this at the time. I am, you know, very passionate about this. Yeah. Sometimes it's like that thing of like some people don't want to be in the middle of the protest. Yeah. They want to process and own their own story and their identity in their own way, and we need to be okay with it.
0: So it's a learning experience for for them too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Carol, I'd like to just make sure that people know, if you're listening on the audio, this is Carol Schoenicker. She's a doctoral, a recent doctoral, oh, last year, right? You got your... I just
1: out, So officially... Awesome.
0: And uh, my friend, Richard Butler, was your advisor, I, I hear. Before yes. The program. Former ED at uh, Three Rivers, and um, she's with DEI uh, committee co-chair at U.S. Rowing now, right?
1: Yeah, the webinar tonight. I think.
0: Yeah. So hi, Richard. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so and, and Carol's the head coach at uh, Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh. Anything else you wanted to say about your program, or like what what's is there an implementation thing? Uh, like, are you going to put something practical things into into or carry out some more of these? Um,
1: Well, we have a year long that's been adjusted from the research, so I'm I'm interested to see how it plays out. You know, and like this tomorrow. Tomorrow we're doing an exercise on empathic listening, and we're gonna do story mapping after that. So it's it's really cool to see the effects as we go. And where we I make them journal every week and turn in their journals, you know, and this is something that I almost implemented from being an elementary school teacher. Yeah. Sometimes kids aren't as comfortable telling you what's wrong, but they'll write it out. So it's interesting. We have three yeah. Prompts with the team too, where they'll ex- answer some questions about technique and how the week went, and then we'll have like an additional prompt yeah. and they turn it in and then the coaches read it and we write feedback back.
0: So these so are your rowers or your yeah. these are yeah. our rowers. Do you also teach classes at the university or?
1: Um, I don't right now. I have been at Duquesne. I yeah. one class. Right. I'm not teaching right now. We
0: have one comment from uh, listener Lily Lively. She says, I'm so oppressed by coaches with strong educational resumes. And that is the truth. That's great. And, uh, you know, we need more people like you, Carol. I, you know, duplicate yourself if you can. <laughs> I think you're kind of in the process of doing that in a little, in some ways, but. Um, but thank you for coming. And uh, we're going to close it out now. We, we'd like to um, encourage people to use the hashtag ReadyRowUSA on social media, and then we'll we'll kind of lurk around and spot you and give you little prizes and wonderful things um, because our, our vendors and um, our sponsors give us things to give you. So ReadyRowUSA is the hashtag. And My company is Pierce Press. All the archives for the podcast are on PiercePress.com. There's more to the URL, but if you get there, you can just go to the podcast podcast tab on the top there. Uh, We have um, children's books about diversity and sustainability and environmental things. We've won some awards in the last few years with those. to Purple Monster, Purple Dragonfly Story Monsters Awards. Um, and most of all, we'd like to have our, our listeners engaged in the program. So I'd love to have small clubs, big clubs, you know, well-funded clubs and, and waterside clubs. <laughs> Just send us in. We'll, we'll profile you in, in one of our club spotlights. So on that, um, on the PiercePress.com slash um, Ready Row USA, The you can link up to the form that you can use to, um, to just tell us your news. You know, if you have a new hire or if you need somebody or need a coach, need a coxswain, put it on there and we'll mention it on the air um, and in our show notes. We also have a Gadgets and Gear uh, regular episode and we're gearing up for that. We have some really great we're going to do the overboard rower and then there's a guy who's developed a remote coxswain for blind rowers so we're going to have uh bob barry on to demonstrate that so it's, it's kind of fun um so carol if you have any any clubs that you want to to you know do you think we should highlight I, i'd love to hear about them you know, so.
1: i'll fill out the form
0: Yeah, please do. Please do. And again, Ready Row USA is the um, hashtag. Please use it and subscribe on YouTube and all that good stuff because it helps us out a lot. And uh, we are going to close out here and we're actually going to in a couple weeks, we'll have a preview of the U.S. Rowing Convention with uh, Sarah McAuliffe and Samantha Wenderlin um, from U.S. Rowing so they're going to be on and kind of preview the convention in in December so please tune in for that you can uh, get the link on piercepress.com or instagram is ready.ro.usa. thanks again and we're going to wind it up here carol please stay in touch and we will we'll
1: be following your progress thank you so much thanks carol